It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. You know, I, I don't hold a hose, mate, and I, I don't sit yeah. in control room. They're answers that only can come from Victoria, I'm afraid, because that's not my job. But well, I ain't spending any time, because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. Well, g'day and welcome, uh, listeners, to uh, The Two Jacks, where we go and look in all matters, politics and media in Australia, and then go around the world and check out what's going on there. And joining me, as usual, is Hong Kong Jack, all the way in Hong Kong, as you'd expect. How are you today, mate? Good, mate. I'm having a better week than Russell Brand. Uh, well, yes, we all are. <laughs> Let's face it. We all are doing doing a little bit better than Russell Brand um, uh, while we... Aren't really going to discuss that. I think this is a, a an issue to handle next week because yeah, I think we there's can. going to be a lot more to come out. Um, this is the subject of a five year investigation by uh, the Times, the Sunday Times, and Channel Four. So uh, I guarantee you, an investigation of that length, there will be more, and of course, uh, yes, there will be more people coming forward as well. <laughs> and the amusing thing is that here's a chap who has gone from being a darling of the Guardian and of the left to now being a darling of the quite crazy right. Crazy so, fringe, fringe right. He, he, yeah. he really so, did. So that, that makes it amusing in a sense. Well, yeah, he did make that. I mean, it's, it's hard to know just what, what his intentions were. It, it was during the pandemic that, that, what, that he sort of leapt to the fringe. Hmm. You, you might remember he was hmm. running a concert during the time where vaccine passports were a thing in the UK. And, um, and of course, uh, people attending that concert were required to um, uh, show proof of vaccination, and uh, he tried to wave that away. I'm not sure how he went against sort of government edicts at the time. Of course, this was the same time when Boris was having birthday parties and what have you in number 10. Um, but um, we'll, we'll have a look at uh, the brand uh, allegations next week because there will be more. Um, that is an un- that is an unfolding story as we speak. But, Jack, what's going on in Hong Kong today? Well, the manufacturers are busily knocking out mooncakes. Mooncakes. Uh, now, you're a very you, – you despise a mooncake, don't you? You're not a fan. Let me describe a mooncake to you. It's a, it's a little round thing. Um, it's made of pastry, this sort of very chewy pastry, like a bit like what you get um, on an English pork pie, but far less appetising. And then it's filled with a, what, what's generally a sweet paste, like a – cloyingly sweet paste, sometimes with a century egg stuck in the middle of it. And you're meant to exchange these things at, um, at Autumn Festival, which is coming up in a week or so, um, and you make a big you know, big thing of handing them over and all that sort of stuff. You know. Do you do that? And do you uh, hand, out, hand them out? I did when I first arrived in Hong Kong. Um, um, because I'd read the books on you know, how to fit in in the new city, all that sort of stuff, and, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and I bought some for um, the Chinese lady who we were in a service department. She used to sort of daily help, if you like, right. daily helper. And I bought some for her um, uh, and uh, ha- handed them over. Now, and they vary in price. Some of them are really quite expensive. Um, and I handed them over to her and she kind of looked askance at them. I says, oh, you're not like them? She says, no. She says, no, don't eat, but is okay. I will give to relatives I don't like. <laughs> 
So that was that was your one and only entry into the mooncake-giving uh, business. It, that was an excellent lesson in how Hong Kong works and of the bluntness of Hong Kongers. Uh, and and when I, I think when I started to fall in love with the city. But really, I reckon I could get away with producing a third as many Hong uh, mooncakes as they do because people just pass them around. You know, people get right. them and say, oh, thank you very much, and then give them to somebody else. You know? They sit in the fridge for a while if, yeah. uh, if you're the uh, end user. Uh, they yeah. might sit in the fridge for a while. So it must be large if they can hold an egg. They must uh, be. Yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a sort of a larger version of an English pork pie. Not, not that much bigger. Like, a, bit bigger. like a Scotch egg, but sweet. Is that the, Am I sort of getting yeah, close to it? Yeah, well, it hasn't always got an egg in them, but they're always sweet, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy and that. They, they, they are not. They are not good, Tucker, mate. They are not. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, happy autumn festival to you. And I was pretty. Yeah. I'm. I'm assuming that that will come with a a poultice of uh, of public holidays. Yeah, we we did get a public holiday. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there'll be more coming as as the autumn festival kicks in. Yeah, well, we've got two public holidays coming up. This one might be on a Saturday, um, that, oh, that we dear. still have public holidays on Saturdays. But nice we have National Day have National Day coming up on the grand final weekend. So. Ah, there you go. Well, that, that is timely. And we'll get to uh, all of that, all of the sports, uh, particularly the, uh, well, the, the three of the four major footy codes uh, reaching... Um, Reaching their zeniths, uh, Australia may not be there. The Wallabies may not be there to enjoy uh, enjoy the fruits of uh, of uh, the World Cup uh, by the looks of things. Uh, but we'll get to all that in sport um, because, as discussed last week, Jack, um, we wanted to talk about the new Industrial Relations Act and what it means. And you've been taking a look at it, Jack. I have. Uh, it's not through the Parliament yet, of course, um, but uh, it's gone through the House, I believe, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yet to get through the Senate, and all we've sort of heard so far, all I've really heard so far, is a fair amount of bleating from employers groups. Yeah, and it's as always with these industrial relations changes, it's hard to know exactly how they're going to work out until you start until the rubber hits the road on great, the ground. Because, great policy cliche. Yeah, because the. Um, uh, sometimes a government thinks they know how it's going to work, but that depends upon how the the the, the employers and the unions um, interpret it and how they um, how they react to it. Sometimes employers will just go along with things. Sometimes they'll fight them and vice versa. So you really don't know how it's going to work until um, uh, it, it it comes to fruition. They seem fairly upset at the moment, Jack. They do. Um, uh, well, we, it varies a bit. If you, I did a bit of a deep dive on, on not just on what the industry associations were saying about it, but what the um, uh, lawyers, industrial relations lawyers who generally act for employers, what they were saying about it. Um, and, and the lawyers were saying, well, look, we're going to have to change a few things, but it's not too bad. So what does I mean? Here we've got a, uh, a director of mediation company called CoSolve, and a former deputy president of the Fair Work Commission, Anna Booth, who says most experts are probably not across every fine detail of the legislation. You sort of alluded to that ourselves, um, and she went on to say, as far as I'm aware, there's no consolidated legislation available yet. I'm not quite sure what she means by that. I mean, the black letter stuff's out there, isn't it? 
Um, yeah, but there's that, they hadn't. Act, I think when she wrote that, they hadn't actually consolidated. They hadn't done the physical oh, okay. consolidating. Um, Anna Booth, by the way, was uh, used to be the uh, federal secretary of the of the clothing union. Ah, okay. I knew her back in um, knew her slightly back when in my Slater and Gordon days. Um, Julia Gillard was our industrial relations head then, and she was uh, good pals with Anna Booth, and they fought some good fights together. So, um, am I right in thinking that Anna Booth would have been a Gillard appointment to the FWC? Uh, quite possibly. Yes, I would think that's a very no, likely scenario. I hope you're not implying anything, you know, any well, favouritism or improper. The, the the coalition just loaded up the Fair Work Commission in the last few weeks of its government, uh, and 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 the Administrative Affairs Tribunal and a whole bunch of other things. Um, but look, getting back to industrial relations, what does it mean for enterprise bargaining? Does it broaden it? Uh, does it allow multi-employer bargaining? Yeah, um, it, it does both of those things. Um, yes. But exactly how that's going to work, we really don't know. So it, it does that. Um, uh, it, uh, it allows employees to choose um, multi-enterprise bargaining. Um, uh, it doesn't I don't think we're going to go back to the old. Uh, you remember you, 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 not quite as old as me, but nearly. Um, and a, a young Thanks. listeners won't, won't won't understand this, but just how important the trade unions were in Australian society. That every media organisation had at least one dedicated industrial relations um, uh, reporter. Um, at, they used to hang around the trades hall council in um, uh, in, in Ligon Street um, uh, all the time. Um, and everybody knew the names of the major union leaders. Everybody in the country knew the names of the major union leaders. Almost no one does now. Um, that's mm. an extraordinary change over 25 years. Well, the, the, the unionisation of the workforce has declined to around about 12 to 15 percent, depending on whose figures uh, you and, look at. And, and, and most of those in the public sector. Yeah, that's in, right. in, in, in two sectors: public sector and construction. Uh, look here, we've got some. Got, got a quote from uh, a fellow by the name of Ferguson. I believe he's uh, linked to the Australian Industry Group. Uh, and uh, he says the most controversial reform is the shake-up of rules relating to collective bargaining. Uh, there will also be scope for unions to obtain orders from the FWC extending the coverage of such agreements, EBAs, uh, to employers that had not been a party to negotiating them, even if the employer opposes it. So that's basically imposing an, uh, an EBA on, on a group that doesn't have an EBA in place, Jack? Am I, am I right? Yeah, and, and, and imposing it on employers and employees who, um, uh, who don't necessarily want it. And where is this likely to strike hardest? Uh, well, what is that's kind of hard sector? to know. Well, that and the new boot um, uh, operations, which is the better off overall test. Yes. Um, um, those two aspects are really hard to know in advance just how they're going to work. So the better off overall test, this was a um, – uh, the, the boot uh, – correct me if I'm wrong, that, that was a Howard government uh, – um, uh, what, what shall we say? Uh, 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 not a body, but, but, uh, but uh, a policy, I suppose, or a policy acronym. Is that correct? The better yeah, off overall that, that, that's test. That's my recollection. It's, it dates um, to that time. At any event, during when they when they tried to bring in uh, work, uh, what was it called? Work. Yeah, they got absolutely smashed uh, work, over it. Work safe or work fair? I can't remember which. Work was fair. 
the work, yeah. the work fair reforms, which were decidedly pro-employer. Um, but so we have the better off overall test. Uh, and this is quoting Ferguson again, says the FWC will obtain new powers to amend a proposed agreement to address any concern over whether it passes the boot. In short, Ferguson says, the FWC will be able to change or rewrite terms of an agreement that is lodged with it, even if the employer doesn't agree to the alteration. Now I'm starting to see how the employers might get a little bit, might be a little bit irksome over, over this, Jack. Yeah, well, again, what you note there is that the, the Fair Work Commission will be able to do this. And what we really don't know is how much they'll do it, how often and in what circumstances. And, and, and you know, the, um, uh, the history of industrial relations tells us to just sit back and be a little bit cautious to see how it happens. There are some other things in here, Jack, and uh, I just want to talk about pay secrecy. Isn't it your business? Isn't it your business between your employer and yourself as to how much money you earn? Um, yeah, and, and that's been sort of – it's a sort of a standard term in, in most um, employment contracts that you shouldn't disclose it to other people, including workmates. Um, the unions don't like that because they want to be able to – what they would like is to go back to the old days where everyone got the paid, got paid the same. Mm. Um, um, but I think that horse has kind of bolted. Yeah, over time, these changes may serve to shift the current cultural tendency of employees in Australia to not discuss their remuneration with colleagues. And so there'll be a new opening up. People will say, G'day, my name's Jack, and I earn $48,000 a year. I'm contracted yeah. to, to earn that sort of money. And and that is designed, I suppose, that the, the, the design elements are to reduce discrimination. Um, based on gender uh, and opportunity, let's say. Yeah, I, I suspect that's the that's the motivation behind it. Um, I just don't think a lot of people are going to want that to have, happen to a lot of employees are going to want that to happen to them. Right. Yeah. No. In, indeed. And there are uh, in, included uh, in the legislation uh, further protections on sexual harassment, Jack, in the workplace. Yeah, there have been. Um, and um, and the, and the sort of a hot tip, uh, hot ticket issue, I think, is what they're going to do about flexible work work hours and what they're going to do. And this is not currently before the house, I don't, but don't, don't believe what they're going to do about gig workers. Yes, and that seems to be a focus, certainly from Tony Burke's comments, um, who's the relevant minister, um, industrial relations minister. Uh, is that people working in the gig economy, uh, our much beloved delivery drivers, the people who kept us fed and clothed uh, during the pandemic, um, uh, uh, Uber drivers, uh, those sorts of people, the people who are sort of listed as independent contractors um, and, and earn a quid that way uh, with uh, basically the employer uh, imposing the rates of pay upon them. Yeah, um, well, subject to negotiation, but yeah, gen generally the um, the big dog gets to decide that. Um, this, this also applies in the construction industry. There's an awful lot of independent contractors um, uh, um, uh, who would have been employees 30, 40 years ago, but are now very happy to be independent contractors. And I suspect a lot of the gig workers also are very happy to be independent contractors. So um, uh, I don't think that genie can be put back in the bottle either.
yeah, it would seem very difficult to do. Um, but I, at the same time, you would say that some, um, some particularly those working in that sort of food delivery business, uh, uh, um, we hear some sort of fairly consistent horror stories about their um, hourly rates of pay and, and, and working conditions generally. Yeah, a, a, a similar attempt was made in California to regulate freelance work, so including um, writers and cartoonists and all sorts of people like that, um, and it kind of made them unemployable within California. So by and large, they up sticks and left um, uh, because they rather enjoy being freelancers and they understood that without the, the, the freedom to freelance, they wouldn't have a job, okay. wouldn't have an income either. So when do we get to test? Um, well, obviously this legislation not through the parliament yet, so it's not been enacted and it really um, sits in the ether in terms of the industrial relations landscape at the moment. But when do we see some form of benefit or indeed uh, failure, Jack? Is it years? Is it two, three? Or is it something yeah, we might see immediately? A couple of years, I would think. All right. Um, in terms of just how uh, how cautious people are about it, um, I saw this from, like, thick, I think it might be Russell Kennedy and Cook, um, an employer's industrial relations union. And they had – this is what for, – for their clients, you know – uh, if, you, if your employment template agreements contain um, uh, pay secrecy, get rid of them. Um, uh, if your business use fixed term or maximum term contracts, you consider whether these contracts are necessary um, and think about changing those. You know, make sure you're, um, uh, you're on top of all of the uh, sexual harassment uh, processes. You've got that working right. So not huge changes. They were saying, tell, we're telling their clients, make these minor adjustments and then we'll see how it goes. Right, so we're not talking about sweeping reforms, are we? Perhaps something... Well, they, they, they could be, but we don't really know. Right, okay. Well, that's uh, that, that's as clear as mud, mate. Thanks very much for that. But, um, but what you're basically saying is if it gets through the Senate, and it looks like it will, uh, then... Uh, We'll uh, get back to it in a couple of years' time. Yeah, sort of, and see how it works. But, but a lot of these things, um, uh, the the employees and employers have kind of moved on, um, uh, and they mm. quite like the new arrangements. And I don't think, as I said, I don't think those genies are going to be able to put back in the bottle. You know? uh, the ACTU and uh, and unions generally would be happy with these reforms. Um, yeah, yeah, they want to be dealt back to the table. It, 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 it deals yeah. them back in, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, and they want to be important again, as everyone does. Yeah. Well, everyone likes to feel important, Jack. Are we? Um, uh, all right. Well, there's there's a take on it. You'll see it in two years, but no real need for panic. I did see some rather, some rather amusing shrieking from employees' groups, and of course there was a wonderful thing in the Fin Review, Jack. I don't know if you saw the video, a billionaire. I uh, can't think of his name right now, and that's probably a bit of a disgrace on my part, um, are talking about basically how uh, employees should be on their bloody hands and knees thanking their employers uh, for just giving them a gig. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, but it caused a great yeah, deal of consternation. Um, the, the, the amusing thing is he, he was masquerading as a small businessman, um, uh, uh, but 
Um, There's a fair but, bit of that going on too. Yes, <laughs> but, but but what the, the story I think I hadn't disclosed was that the reason he was a small businessman is that he had um, built a large business and had had sold it um, very advantageously. For a large, yeah, for a large amount of money. I mean, an extraordinarily <laughs> yeah, large, amount, large of amount of money. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, look, I think it's probably wise for us not to look too much at employer groups or indeed trade unions. When we look uh, when we look at some sort of analysis of industrial relations, because it's just whatever we get from those two groups is going to be basically, I don't like change. Well, no, um, 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 it's going to be um, we are sort of some of the employers are going to say we're resistant to change and and, uh, and we don't like it, and the trade unions saying well we want to be dealt it back on back into the table. Yeah, um, they're always talking their own book. Um, That's uh, right. Exactly. And I can I can I can. Um, uh, tell you from uh, some considerable experience as organisations, they're a bit like impressionist paintings. They look a lot better provided you stand back and don't get too close. <laughs> very nice. Very nice, Jack. All right, moving on to The Voice. Uh, we did have some uh, really substantial rallies on the weekend, big group in Melbourne in particular, um, mm. but meetings uh, through, well, rallies throughout the uh, throughout the uh, major cities and uh, the regions of Australia. Jack, um, some big numbers there, but even if you get 100,000 on the streets, it's still, when you look at the totality of the Australian voting public, it's still pretty small numbers. And there doesn't seem to be, I haven't looked at any polling over the last week, but it doesn't seem to be any great shift in sentiment um, yet. Uh, this is where the Yes campaign thinks that they can push those soft no's and the don't no's into the yes camp. Um, and um, so far, not so good. But there was some, 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 a, bit, a, bit, a bit of discomfort in the no, in the no base when uh, Warren Mundine was interviewed on The Insiders on Sunday and he talked about treaties and he talked about, yes, he supported the change of date on Australia Day. And you could hear heads... Um, hitting tables, Jack. Um, you could um, across, uh, across the country, as you could when um, Jacinta Price was talking at the press club earlier in the week, um, mm. uh, and and I think um, I might be doing a disservice here, but um, uh, she said that she didn't think um, the uh, Indigenous people had been. Um, we're st- or at least we're still suffering any harm from British Disadvantaged. Language. I think that was the question. Dis- uh, disadvantaged, yes. Yeah, and, and it was a question put to her at the National Press Club um, last yeah, week. Both both of them look to me like they've, um, they're have they enjoying a bit of success and there's a little bit of hubris set in. <laughs> it looked very much like that to me. When the question yeah. was put to Jacinta, Senator Price, I should say, um, uh she paused for a moment and it was almost like, I'm going to answer this. No, 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 I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the flow here. And mm. uh, and then off she rolled. And, look, I mean, it is identifiably wrong, the argument there. Mm. Um, we can talk about uh, knocking, knocking the uh, life expectancies off uh, Indigenous Australians by 20 years uh, since... Uh, uh, colonialism that alone would say would would amount to a fair amount of disadvantage. What I liked about Warren Mundine's answers um, uh, to the insiders is she was being honest, and I've I, I mentioned this before. I, I, I know Warren quite well, and and he's always been an honest fellow. Um, 
and I suspect there is some discomfort about some of the no campaign that falls upon him. And I think he was just replying honestly. And that leads to a certain truth that regardless of the outcome, no, if not regardless of the outcome, if the no, if the no, um, if the no proposition gets up, as the polling sort of indicates it will, you, there will be no black hole on reconciliation. It must move forward. And just yes, the question of how is, is something that really needs to be addressed, particularly by the no camp. I, mean, not, I know they can just say no, vote no. If you don't understand it, you know, vote no, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's not for them to propose what must happen uh, beyond the referendum days. Um, but, but at least Warren had the honesty to, to deal with it because reconciliation cannot die uh, if the referendum does. Uh, nor, nor do I think it will. Um, there is, in my view, uh, no shortage of <coughs> goodwill um, in the community to fix some of the problems, as many as that can be fixed. Um, uh, the only reason the, the, um, the referendum uh, will fail, um, as I think it will, um, is the particular proposal I came up with. Yeah, um, and, and, and that includes treaties because the states are negotiating treaties right yes, now. Yes, of course they are. Um, and, uh, and, and, and generally they go okay, but some of them are going to work and some of them are not. Yeah, I think Western Australia's had a treaty in place um, uh, in the southwest of the state for a long period of time. Um, it's not negotiating treaties at the moment, but it has had like what we would call a treaty in place for uh, with, the, with the Noongar people for a very, very long time. Uh, and the sky didn't fall in and no one lost and, their backyards and all this sort of stuff. And, and then it tried another one more recently and it all fell over. Um, well, so where they, where they really fell apart, where Western Australia, and really Western Australia sort of a year and a half ago, Western Australians were profound supporters of, of the voice referendum. Um, as they understood it at the time. But then then particularly farming groups and mining companies to a lesser, lesser degree were sort of had this um, uh, rather uh, onerous uh, uh, legislation put upon them about sacred sites and, um, and, and really it had shifted the balance towards, let's say, farmers to identify and then have assessed sacred sites that they probably don't know too much about. It was incredibly confusing and uh, pretty much the wrong way to go. Uh, so bad, so bad it had to be dumped by a Labor government unceremoniously. It was, you know, um, put in the rubbish bin and the rubbish bin was taped down so that no one ever knew it existed. You know? so, <laughs> well, so that, it, so that it had happen. to be actually taken down with a great deal of fanfare because they needed to take that heat out of the electorate. Yeah, but look... Six, a year ago, 60-plus percent of the people were in favour of The Voice. Mm. And what's happened since then, as they've found out what's in the proposal, they've steadily dropped away. Um, and it's as simple as that. It was the wrong proposal. I did see uh, a political marketer um, on the 7.30 show last night, and I can't think of his name, but he's been around for a, a long time. And he was saying, and I think this is pretty much what you've been saying, Jack, that um, uh, that the government had basically presented this to the Australian pe people as a sales exercise rather than a discussion point. Mm. Now we understand that uh, Elbow made a commitment to uh, 
Galawai Uendamu and uh, no, sorry, Galawai Unipingu, um, and and he wouldn't back away from that. But that might be the problem, uh, not his commitment, but the fact that this was presented to the Australian people rather than uh, saying to the Australian people, "Here's what we've got. Let's let's work this through. Let's see if we can't pull you along with us." Yeah, <coughs> people like the tin. Um, unfortunately, when they had a look at what was in the tin, they didn't like that. Yeah, well, we haven't got a vote cast yet, of course. Hmm. I did notice uh, in yesterday's Australia that Tony Abbott was um, exultant uh, about conservatism in Australia. <laughs> and I thought, might be just a little bit early there, Tony. Yeah. You have made a couple of slip-ups along, <laughs> along these lines in the past. And uh, doing a lap of honour before a vote has been cast in the referendum might just might just be a little bit of hubris and a little bit premature. The, um, uh, the, the, the there was briefly on. Uh, uh, did you on, read it, by the way? I, I did. I did read it. She was. Um, wasn't it a pile of steaming crap from a bloke who's been cast out by his own electorate? The um, uh, there, there used to be a, um, a, a television program on uh, horse racing in Victoria, Hamish. Um, uh, McLaughlin and my old pal uh, Ross Patterson Campbell or Ross Stevenson as he's known um, and they used to have a segment called Going the Early Crow <laughs> Yes, that's what it was, yeah <laughs> It was just a little bit early yeah. um, but Jack is the polling wrong uh, Well, this has been a lot of fun on Twitter It uh, has been, hasn't it? And, yeah. and, and, and like and, and, So we had some really big crowds. I mean, I don't know. I didn't see too many crowd estimates, and they're always a bit murky anyway. But there was yeah. what seemed to be a pretty large crowd in in Melbourne, uh, and and people were saying, oh, "Po faced." They were saying, "Well, you've got all these people on the streets, yeah. so there must be the, the polls. Therefore, must be wrong." And and that was exactly what Cookers were saying back in the pandemic yeah. with their freedom marches, with you know. Uh, exaggerated crowds, it might have been 8,000, they called them 800, and then saying, look, we represent the majority of Australians. So it was the yeah. same mindset. Yeah, so um, they were going completely nuts on Twitter. Um, and Cos Samara, so I think is a director of Redbridge, the yeah, Redbridge, polling company. Yeah, he's a Redbridge. Um, but, but, but he's Former a, Labor bloke, by the way. Yeah, he's a Labor bloke through and through. <laughs> um, uh, and, um, uh, and they were having a real crack at him because he said, well, the polling's the polling. You know, um, and, and, and people are coming up with all sorts of weird and wonderful explanations as to why the polling might be wrong. Mm. And in the end, um, poor Mr. Samaras had had enough. He did. He, he said, did a gutful. He, he said, I wonder, is this the same view people had on Newspile when it predicted a Labor landslide in Victoria, a slight majority for Labor in Canberra, or a difficult win in New South Wales for Labor? <clears throat> I went, for what it's worth, if any any suffering from this level of polling denialism walked into my Labor campaign office when I worked for that party and espoused those views, I would have kicked them out. <laughs> uh, you are not a progressive if you reject science and maths. Yeah. Uh, so it, Poor Cos had had well and truly enough. Yeah, Cos. Well, look, I mean, look, polling is polling, and and we know uh, that polling can be wrong, uh, mm. but we. But we generally see, and and Cos was out there to point out uh, various things where they got it right. And I think one of the issues was 2019, yeah. um, where uh, where Bill Shorten and Labor were heavily backed in to win, and, and of course lost. I think 51.5 to 48.5. 
and um, uh, and, 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 and and the polling was wrong within the margin of error in that. that it was wrong within the margin of error, and that's and the margins of error on, let's say, fifteen hundred. Um, um, people uh, or poll respondents, uh, is generally sits around about three percent, depending yes. on the methodology. So, so it, it's always you've always got that. I mean, when and, we look and, at and Cos, Cos is saying that the polling and the voice is so far beyond the margin of error as not to matter. When I look at the yes case, I think the best case scenario for them is to. When they were ahead in Tasmania, only by a little bit, they'd flaps behind, they'd fallen behind in Victoria, and they've fallen behind pretty substantially in New South Wales. If they were able to pick up those three, but they would need to win them fifty four forty six across yes. the board. Um, Tasmania's numbers don't count so much, and then they would need to pick up South Australia by somewhere around that margin and that's yeah. their that's their pathway to victory. That's that's you know, we are we, excluding Queensland, Queensland and Australia and WA. They seem lost. It, it just seems lost. Queensland and West Australia are gone. Um uh, yeah, and South Australia's not looking good. Yeah. Um uh, so and and as you say, to get the majority overall, they're gonna need <coughs> um, a majority of states, they're gonna need about fifty four percent of the vote plus. I mean they're yeah. a long way shy of that. Long, seem a long way shy of that. Not a vote yet cast, so we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. And we apologise to Cosimaris uh, if uh, if we've uh, if we've sort of traduced his polling along the way. But the polling doesn't look good at all. And I was talking to a couple of people who aren't necessarily political, um, and how they viewed um, the um, uh, how they viewed the referendum. And, and they were talking about it being divisive, uh, that, 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 that this was not a unifying thing for this. That's their views and they're entitled to them. I, I would disagree and I did disagree with the fellows that I spoke to, but that was their view. And it's not a racist view. I think that's one of the great mistakes that the, that the Yes campaign has made, depending on how you interpret some of the comments. But... Um, uh, the idea, even the, the the very idea of saying, look, those people who, who, who support the no proposition, even if it's that sort of 20% that Marcia Langton uh, identified as rusted on, you can't really go around calling them racist. And, and, uh, and, and you can't because you will actually harden hearts and, uh, and, and, uh, and, 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 and basically end up losing. So I think... What we have at the moment, Jack, is the yes and no camps who are actually pushing, both pushing people away at the moment, uh, and um, and uh, um, uh, regardless of outcome, neither of them, neither of uh, of the, the the two parties, yes or no, have have covered covered themselves in glory yet, Jack. Yeah, it's, this is not this is not being won or lost by the campaigns. Um, uh, this is being lost, I think, because the people have had a look inside the tin and don't like what they see. Um, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Tuesday um, the 19th of yeah, September, yeah, yes. The, the, this morning um, there was a demonstration in uh, in Adelaide. Oh, that was last and, night, yeah. There was a no yeah. campaign meet, uh, meet last night. That was essentially to get volunteers for the no campaign. Uh, to uh, hand out on uh, polling day and do a bit of work for them through the campaign. 
Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It was last night. Um, this morning, the Premier, what's his name? Peter Melanaskis, who seems to be a pretty good operator. Yeah, smart operator, Melanaskis. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he was out giving the, um, the Yes campaign as a real kicking for saying, for um, walking along beside this meeting and all that sort of stuff and cr- screaming out and calling people racist, et cetera, et cetera. It's not a good look. This is no, no way to go. It's not a good look. It's no way to go about it. Mm. I, I did see Chris Minns to speak at uh, the, the Sydney rally. And he said, we're not going to denounce the no, the, the no people. Mm-hmm. We're not going to traduce them. We're not going to abuse them. We're going to, try and, we're going to try and convince them. And that's the right approach. That's the right language. If you, if you want an excellent example of how it should have been gone about, there's a, um, on YouTube there's a video of Jason Clare, very good operator, um, yeah. MP out in Western Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he struck exactly the right tone. I still don't think that would have worked because people were always going to have a peek inside the tin and have a look what was there. And once they did that, it wasn't going to succeed. Oh, you'll be singing along to the Paul Kelly song soon enough, Jack. You just keep mm. listening to it, just on rotation. Just, just yeah, listen yeah. to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is, um, it, is, is, is that Paul Kelly, the uh, the the, the half from, no, from not Sid- no, 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 not the Sydney Swans footballer, uh, oh, okay. Brownlow medalist. Uh, uh, he's not, not the journalist from the Australian? Uh, no, uh, different again. There are a number of Paul Kellys around, funnily enough, yeah. with Australia's uh, massive uh, Irish uh, population, uh, uh, <coughs> Irish heritage. Um, Joe Aston. Jack, uh, he must be flying Virgin Blue by now, wouldn't he? Oh, look, <laughs> I don't uh, think you'd get on a Qantas flight. Yeah, uh, I tell you what, I think Qantas are going to regret. Um, he uh, he uh, would be sitting him, in the centre seat, off a plane, aisle for aisle for uh, aisle thirty, basically, right down the right down the back. Yeah, um, well, with the, the smell of abgas uh, under in his nostrils. But I, he's had a decent go, and I think he makes some pretty good points, doesn't he? He has been on at Qantas uh, under Joyce and now without Joyce. He's still going hard. Yes, he has. Um, and he's got a decent turn of phrase, Joe. He does. He brought uh, rather wonderful. It's acerbic, overly acerbic at times, but not on this occasion. Yeah. Uh, when Qantas had its ass surgically removed and handed to it by the High Court of Australia on Wednesday, the company didn't lodge a statement with the Australian Securities Exchange Qantas put out a press release like it was upgrading the Qantas Club in Hobart or unveiling a new line of flammable socks in business class. Oh, most amusing. Most amusing. Um, uh, But there is a statutory requirement on Qantas as a publicly listed company to do more than that. And this was Joe Aston's point, isn't it? Yes, yeah. That you have to notify the market when good and bad things happen. And especially a, a bad thing that might cost you $200 million mm. or plus. So Joe goes on to say that actually nothing happened. He said there is something seriously wrong with a country where breaking the law and being punished for it is still cheaper than doing the right thing. Mm. Hard to disagree. Hard to disagree at all. Yeah, so potential. And, and then he makes a very good point is they say – we had made a provision for this in our um, uh, in our uh, forward estimates, right? Yeah. And he says, well, how much did you make a provision for? Um, what it's officially costing you now or how, how much it's going to cost you after the ACCC have made, uh, finished with you? And, and absolutely right. And that is market-sensitive information, right? Yeah. So, so that is something that needs to go through. I mean, you can't just issue a price release. That That is completely wrong. You actually have to issue a notice to the Australian Stock Exchange. I've got that right, haven't I? Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, well, there's, there's arguments about exactly what, so. tri- exactly what triggers that, but I would have thought this is this is one of those things. <clears throat> yeah, potential two hundred million dollar bottom line loss. Even if they've made contingencies, I, I doubt that it will be two hundred million dollars worth. Um, and in fact, that is again market sensitive information, and mm. uh, it should have been released to the Australian Stock Exchange and made public, Jack. Yes. <clears throat> mm, still problems there. And, and of course, there are continued calls, not just from Joe Aston, but others, um, for the board to resign and the chairperson to resign. Uh, yeah, I saw a headline this morning. Uh, Richard Goiter, I think, is going before the Senate um, uh, uh, committee um, and you know, suggesting if he didn't get it right this time, he's probably for the chop. You know, it depends. Depends who's on that committee, I suspect. But um, look, if Ralphie Babbitt or or or, uh, or Pauline Hanson are on it, um, it's bound to be amusing, um, if nothing else. I just, uh, I just hope that Labor bloke's found a seat. He's headed off to David Jones and put one off the rack. <laughs> What's his name? Sheldon. Tony Sheldon. Tony Sheldon. Can you put a tie on, man? Yeah, um, I think we should start a GoFundMe, a suit for Tony Sheldon. You know. <laughs> just, just, you're a senator. Behave yourself. Mm. Uh, conduct yourself in a, in a in an appropriate manner, Tony. Well, uh, well, of course, it could be worse in the US Senate. They've just changed the dress rules in the US Senate to accommodate um, Senator Fetterman, the, 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 the chap who had the stroke. He seems to, to like wearing... A pair of baggy shorts and a hoodie into the seat. Yeah, I've seen that. Mm. Um, and uh, um, Senator Schumer has instructed the um, the officials there that that's okay. So it's Tony right. Sheldon, Tony Sheldon is doing better than that, but not. Yeah, much. he's not. He hasn't got the shorts on. He's no, <laughs> the shorts and the hoodie on yet. Yeah. But look, it's only a matter of time. The way I think, or the way I see it, Jack. Uh, until uh, until Tony just turns up in a T-shirt and a pair of thongs, Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you're going to do that, Tony, become a podcaster. We can wear what we like. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I am wearing shorts and thongs today, Jack. It's yeah, 33 degrees, or will be 33 degree, degrees in the Southern Highlands today. In uh, Look, it's a magnificent spring, but uh, we are all sort of, sort of in the back of our minds going, ooh, this is, going to get a, this is going to get a bit warm this summer. Um, very early for uh, Sydney to be in the mid-30s. Um, and, uh, and and we're getting a bit of that today. Lovely weather, by the way. Nothing to complain about there. But <laughs> what's it going to be like when we hit, you know, Jan or December, January, February, March? All right, we're going to move over to the United States, Jack, and we're looking at things that are very, very political here. Um, look, I did notice, and, and uh, it's not in my notes, but the uh, uh, the Union of uh, Automobile Workers um, yes. is basically on strike in three locations. And... Um, um, <coughs> and... Um, uh, uh, and uh, I just, uh, yeah, I just want to uh, let you, let you know that Trump is actually turning up in Michigan to speak with the striking workers, and the striking workers, it must be said, aren't terribly happy about seeing him. So that's one thing. But we're looking at a little bit of polling today, among other issues, and Trump is a solid lead in the battleground states. Um, and we present. Uh, and Trump has a solid lead in the battleground states, uh, crucial to determining the outcome of the 2020 election, according to the Reuters Ipsos poll, which is a fairly high, it's not, it's not top of the range, but it is a fairly highly regarded poll. 
Trump leads by six points in Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Nevada, and Michigan. And of course, there's the there's the caveat that we are 13 months away from the from the um, uh, from the uh, presidential election, and a long way to go, and a lot can happen. Uh, that, it, cer- uh, it certainly can, but that sort of lead would give him an electoral college victory of uh, giving give 312 electoral college votes to 226. So it would be a bigger win than he had over Hillary Clinton. So if that, that's if the poll was held this weekend. Yeah, that's right. So a lot, lot, um, lot's going to happen. We'll, we'll look at some polling. There's actually some some, some interesting stuff, but it would seem um, that um, uh, the NYT, the New York Times and, and, and WAPO, uh, are both running, uh, both running heavily with uh, can Joe Biden please resign or or not run? Yeah, um, uh, because uh, they think that he's doomed. Um, uh, and, and Wapo has gone uh, even even harder again today, Jack. Yes, yeah, sure. The sort earlier this morning. Well, just quote from one piece, uh, and this is an opinion piece, um, but uh, it says Biden would carry two big liabilities into a 2024 campaign. He would be 82 when he began a, a, a second term. I think that would make him the oldest president um, uh, to be in the White House uh, mm. at 82, and it goes back a fair way. Um, according to a recent Associated Press NORC poll, 77% of the public, including 69% of Democrats, think he's too old to be effective for four more years. Biden's age isn't just a Fox News trope. It's been the subject of dinner table conversation across America this summer. It goes on, but basically that is the argument, the age, the infirmity, Um but look, I went digging around, Jack, and just had a look at a bit of um, relative polling. And I know things are very, very different in the United States than they might have been 10 years ago. But um, Biden's polling numbers are very similar to Obama's in 2012, or indeed 2011 and the year before the 2012 presidential election. Obama's approval was at 40% uh, in July 2011. That's through a Gallup poll, and Rasmussen on the weekend shows Biden at 46.53. So he's in slightly uh, yeah. better shape. Um, uh, except that um, I don't think uh, Obama was never behind in the battleground states the way that uh, um, Biden is. Um, yeah. Uh, look, there's some, other, uh, there's some other polling that I wanted to have a look at too, Jack, and this is sort of head-to-head against well, Biden v. the uh, primaries list, or most of them. Uh, Biden v Trump, Trump plus two. That's, this is a Fox News poll, and, and it is a highly regarded poll. Uh, Trump plus two uh, <clears throat> in, in that in that imaginary um, battleground. <clears throat> um, Biden leads against the lamentable RDS, uh, Ron DeSantis, by three points. Nikki Haley, Haley leads by two against Biden. Ramaswamy is Ramaswamy plus one. Uh, uh, Christie is uh, is uh, Biden plus one, and Pence is Pence plus one. Uh, with Tim Scott, it's Biden plus one. Um, so, um, if, uh, if 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 Ramaswamy's a point in front of you, you're in trouble. <laughs> I would say that. I don't. I don't know. Everyone's just trying to kick him to death at the moment, which is probably the right thing to do. Uh, well, in a political fashion, metaphorical fashion, I should say. Um, uh, I've seen that on the left and the right. 
But um, these figures show that um, that uh, Trump is in as good a shape as anybody. I mean, no better than anybody, with the, with the exception of Ron DeSantis. Um, so, except, for, except, except that the indictments have made it almost certain that Trump will be the the nominee, um, and because they have solidified support behind him, I think the Democrats are, are, are gearing up to push Joe out. Yeah. Okay. It's a good call. I, I mean, let's if we want to get into the speculative business, who's there? The VP. Um, that, that's the problem. Um, it won't be Kamala. Um, because they don't see her, and they're quite right. Um, I mean, Newsom? Couldn't even, um, it's probably going to be Newsom, yes. Uh, and and that means that that's the high-risk roll of the dice there of, of putting in a California progressive. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, but, but, um, but, but I think they're looking at it and saying, um, we thought that if we could make sure that Trump was the GOP nominee, Joe would beat him. That doesn't look possible. Newsom is very clever on his feet. I must say, I've seen a few interviews with him, including yeah. one on Fox News. And and Joe's not. He was just better prepared than the interviewer. Yeah. And so he just – and when he doesn't know, like like Trump and like Biden from from time to time, he'll throw in a he'll throw in a he'll throw in a, some evidence or or a statistic that you, if you go and check, it's not quite right. But he'll still go hard on it and. Um, and to the point where the interviewer generally gives up. Um, he's a pretty smart I operator. I don't but think whether Joe, he's going to get that, whether he's going to get support in the, in in Midwest states that have very different values to what California progressives have. That's that's yeah. the big question about news. Um, I think they're looking at it and saying Joe won't survive an election campaign. He couldn't. He could. He, he, there's no way he survives debates with Trump. Um, and there's no way he can out-campaign Trump because Trump. One thing, one thing Trump's good at. He's a carnival huckster. He's a good campaigner. Um, yeah. And, well, there's, um, a, there's there's a few things that happen when we, we we get we are yeah. now getting in the speculative sort of area, and that's fine because there's a lot of things that can happen. I mean, Joe Biden could seriously fall off the fall off the twig. Um, mm. Uh, and of or course, he could, or, or he could do a Mitch McConnell and just completely freeze during a press conference. <laughs> oh, that wasn't nice. It was it was a bit it was a bit sad to watch, really, wasn't it? Um, mm. um, uh, but also, and, and, and if he does that, that's game over. So, but also, we've got you know we've got to look at what's going to happen to Trump, Jack. And, mm. and I just wanted to tell our listeners the timing of Trump's trials. Let's start firstly with the, the Fulton County Rico. No date for a trial has yet been set on that, although two, Kenneth Cheeseborough and Sydney Powell, will be tried together on October 23. Yeah, That's she, all we uh, know about the, that. The, the prosecutor wanted everyone to be tried together and the court said no. Uh, Cheeseborough is an interesting case, Jack, just as an aside. He's, he's a highly regarded legal academic in, uh, in Georgia and, um, and obviously uh, was providing advice to the Trump uh, campaign and, uh, pre- and and presidential group in 2020, um, he would be, I would imagine, quite alarmed to be indicted, um, and, and also now that he's got to be indicted or tried alongside Sydney Power, that cannot please him. That's 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 where that's that's a place where you never want to be. Mm. That's on the bottom of the pack with four blokes on top of you. Um, but look, that's that. That's just just move on from the from the Georgia stuff. Um, the DC four count indictment uh, that's going to trial on March the fourth, 
as far as we can tell at this day. That's the day before Super Tuesday primaries in Alabama. Uh, that's primaries for both Democrats and GOP, uh, Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. Vermont and Virginia. So that's the day before the, 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 the trial starts. The New, the New York um, indictments, uh, that starts. That trial starts on March 25. And while that would seem to be the lesser, um, uh, potentially less destructive to Trump than, uh, than the other three, um, uh, it still runs straight through that, through that very heavy uh, primary process. And then, of course, you've got the secret docs indictment uh, which, according to uh, the legal experts I read, would seem to be Trump's biggest fear. That's That trial begins on May 20 because there's a fairly strong um, um, evidentiary sort of link um, uh, that, uh, that includes uh, um, Trump... Uh, um, allegedly turning off CCTV footage, etc., so documents could be smuggled out. Um, there's fairly strong a sort of evidentiary link there. So that's May 20, and, and all of that, occur, of course, um, it occurs before the RNC convention. So, Jack, let me put it to you, um, having said all of that, how can you run a campaign from jail? How can um, you run a political campaign from jail? Those all, all all of these trials will guarantee him, I think, the the nomination. Yeah, but what if he's convicted of one? We don't know about the uh, the Atlanta stuff. The the the, the I'm sorry, the the Fulton County, Georgia, uh, RICO charges that comes with found guilty. You're going to jail for five years minimum. The, um, the, but the, how do how could you run potentially a, a a political campaign from jail? And my answer is, I don't think you can. Um, uh, I think you probably can. Um, why? Because I think at least all bar the perhaps the Florida um, charges, the <coughs> the document charges, um, people at least understand those. But the rest of them, I think, I think um, uh, um, a great many Americans will see as political. Um, prosecutions rather than criminal prosecution. Yeah, well, look, there's also the potential negative impact of all of the evidence being rolled out in trials, particularly the DC four-count indictment and then the secret doc stuff. That's not going to look too good for him. But my view is if he does does do a bit of bird, um, I don't know that the, the GOP could actually run with him and would be looking for a replacement. That's that's my view. I mean, that's just a speculator, but yeah. I cannot see how he could run a campaign from... From jail, yeah. um, I, I think this will make his campaign stronger. But we're going to have a different view about this. But um, oh, no, I it's, actually it's, think it, it's just one of many, many um, uh, options that, that can occur. Yeah, um, and and I, I don't know that the Americans are going to going to uh, elect a bloke who's, who's in the slammer. I think where you and I do agree is that by, is that the GOP and the Democrats can do a lot better than than Donald Trump, not Eric Trump. They can do a lot, a lot better than Eric as well. And the Dems can do a lot better than Joe Biden. Um, most Americans would rather see neither of them as president. Exactly right, yes. Um, the... the uh, uh, the, there is an impeachment process um, around Biden now, around President Biden, uh, in relation to Hunter Biden's stuff, Jack. And, and uh, the CNN fact-checked 
looked at these and found them to be a bit wanting. I mean, it is a bit funny, isn't it, that we actually have to have an investigation into impeachment? Um, no, because impeachment impeachments are not legal; they're political. Yeah, um, well, there you go. Thank you, yeah, thanks, that, thank that, you that, for that, that answer. That is a perfect summary. Yeah, they, they, they have always been political. They have some of the trappings of a legal proceeding, um, but if you go back to the um, the Clinton impeachment, um, uh, I don't think you could, I don't think you could fill a lift with senators who thought that he hadn't perjured himself. Um, uh, so, well, so the, Americans. So the, you probably got about two hundred eighty million Americans saying, "Oh, yeah, no, he definitely lied. He, he definitely perjured himself." But mm. they were never going to vote to impeach him because it's a political process, not a legal one. The interesting thing about the CNN fact check was that they found that all the facts, bar one, were true, but there were but, ex- yeah, but there were extenuating buts. circumstances. And the fact that they said they were all true is another indication that, um, uh, in my view, that the um, the progressive um, uh, end of the Democrats are moving against Joe. Jake Tapper was on CNN a couple of days later and running through a long list of all of the personal fabrications that Joe Biden goes up with, the Amtrak story, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the whole long list of them. Had a big screen up there and a whole thing. And this is CNN, and CNN are turning against Joe. Well, just go through this. There's a claim that the Biden family and associates got $20 million through shell companies and CNN says this is true about Joe Biden's family and associates, but there is no public evidence to date that the president personally received any money. Uh, Claim, an informant alleged the Biden family got a bribe and they say the facts first. It's true that an informant gave a tip of this nature to the FBI in 2020 and that the Bureau had viewed him as a credible informant, but the underlying allegation that the Biden family was given a bribe is totally unproven. The informant was merely reporting something he said he had been told by a Ukrainian businessman. Uh, claim Biden participated in calls and dinners with Sun's business partners. That's uh, Hunter, of course. Uh, the facts first from CNN. McCarthy's claim omits key context about what was and wasn't reportedly discussed in the calls and dinners. A Hunter Biden associate testified that even though Joe, Bo- Joe Biden was on these calls and at these dinners, he didn't discuss business. And the Republicans have not presented any evidence that Joe Biden himself benefited financially from his appearance at the dinners or on the calls. There's one more here. A claim Biden family members... Financial transactions were flagged as suspicious. Uh, CNN says the existence of these suspicious activity reports don't prove wrongdoing on their own. And I'll just go to one more, Jack. Um, (coughs) Then VP Biden used his powers to help his son's business. And the facts say there, there is no public evidence that Joe Biden abused his government powers to help his family. There are some. Uh, uh, you, you, you miss one, you missed the one about uh, Joe um, not telling the truth about his... Um, Lied uh, about he, his knowledge of family businesses? Yeah, yeah. And, and and this is a masterpiece from, um, from the CNN fact-checkers. It's right up there with the Queen's recollections may vary, I think. Um, Joe Biden's unequivocal denials of any business-related contract with his son have been undercut over time. (laughs) But so far, there is no public evidence that his occasional interactions with Hunter Biden's business partners led to him getting substantially involved in his son's financial 
that's wow, that, that throwing whole, him under the bus. That whole part's a, a, a bit of soft nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, uh, but that 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 is essentially the the grounds for impeachment. Um, there's a very it's the grounds strong, for the inquiry. It's the grounds for the inquiry. Grounds for the inquiry, which may lead to impeachment, which yes. is deeply, deeply political. I'd just simply say that uh, the attempt to uh, um, impeach Clinton actually drove his numbers up. Yes. Um, and um, uh, <clears throat> and to a point where he was comfortably, um, uh, comfortably, uh, it was during his second term from memory, and mm. uh, and so uh, his his, num- his numbers were never stronger than during that impeachment process because people just, I mean, it, it, if you think there's distrust for president and for, for for the for the office of the president and, and indeed any presidential candidate that comes along, including Donald Trump, you should see what the American public thinks of the Congress. Uh, yes, um, I, I, and I think the same things, the, the same uh, electoral uh, results, going to happen with um, uh, the uh, in the four lots of indictments as well. They're going to drive up Trump's numbers. I might be wrong about it, but that's just how I see it. Um, yeah, fair enough. Okay, so um, special counsel, U.S. special counsel, investigating Donald Trump, and basically the. Uh, the the signatory to the four-count indictment in D.C., which we mentioned before, uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith, is asking a judge to impose limits on statements from former President Donald Trump regarding his court case over his attempt to overturn his 2020 election defeat. You have to say it's not really not really an Australian context, is it? Because uh, if you're charged, uh, you, you, if you're charged with an offence, you're very rarely going to talk about it, are you? Um, um, yeah, but uh, once again, this 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 just looks like they're trying to hamstring Trump's election campaign. It, it might look like that, but it, it's very odd that whether, know, whether it's true or not, that's what it looks like. Yeah, and 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 talking, I mean, basically run, running off running off the mouth at judges and and uh, and Jack Smith himself and the DOJ and the weaponized FBI and all this sort of stuff, um, and maybe. Um, Trump needs to be quiet, Jack, because he didn't. He had a bit of a shocker uh, with an interview on NBC with Meet the Press, uh, Meet the Press host uh, Kristen Welker, um, uh, that included a couple of vignettes uh, here that Joe, that is Biden, will get us into the next. Well, will get us in, not the next. Will get us into World War Two. And I'm mm. pretty sure that was over. And um, and uh, he's also, he proudly boasted, leading Obama in the polls. Yes. <laughs> it, was, um, it, it was more of a, a Biden-esque performance um, with, you know, fumbling around. Anyway. There, yeah. It, it, well, there, there were similar remarks made. Um, um, certainly not by Trump fans, but uh, so suggesting that he was suffering a fair amount of mental disintegration himself, Jack. As well. Um, one of the interesting things um, that, that's happened over the, the last week or so with Trump is that he's um, making some noises about what happens with abortion post Roe v. Wade. Mm. Um, I did know course, he had an attack. He had an attack on RDS's uh, Florida um, yeah, uh, policies. And Trump, don't forget, is really a, a kind of a liberal New Yorker by yeah. background. Yeah. Um, and um, he thinks uh, that they're going to have to come to some kind of accommodation across the country. And he, he's not putting a, a date on it, um, but he's sort of muttering about you know, 15 or 20-week 
um, uh, limits on abortion. Um, and, of course, that's driving the never-Trumpers on the right nuts um, uh, because they think that disqualifies him from support from the pro-lifers, but the pro-lifers seem pretty relaxed about it. This has been my tip with where it will end up all, with, all the way along, uh, post Roe v. Wade, is that America will fall taking, into line with the rest of the Western world. Well, mate, it's just taking way too long. And in the meantime, you've got some of these very conservative states writing up laws or had laws in place in many cases that are really just yeah. not, anyway, not what you'd expect in the 21st century. But... Look, we've got to talk a little bit about Bidenomics and what an absolute thrill it is, Jack, Um, um, uh, because inflation in the United States is down. I mean, really down. I mean, the the Reserve Bank of Australia would kill kill for those kinds of stats, but there are still huge cost of living pressures in the United States. While while inflation is down uh, in major spending areas like... Um, uh, uh, food, uh, energy, um, uh, used cars, these sorts of things, uh, it's still very, very high. It is. Um, and and for all that um, you might think that the Bidenomics, that Joe's, Joe Biden's economics policy have been successful, the American people don't seem to agree with Well, that's the thing. That's the, that's the point I'm trying to make here is that in re- really when when we talk about speculating whether Trump's going to be in the slammer, whether Joe Biden's going to fall off the branch, all this sort of stuff, in the end, presidential elections will come down to economics and cost of living measures. So those things, those are the things that are killing him at the moment, and it seems difficult to see how we'll get how that will change in any substantial way between now and November next year. Yeah, most Americans think the economy is getting worse, not better. All right. Uh, look, we're going to shift shift across. We did sort of talk to our listeners last week and say we hadn't done much of an update um, on uh, on Ukraine and Russia. There hasn't been a whole lot to report, uh, but there was a bit of a breakthrough on the weekend when a number of villages in eastern Ukraine near Bakhmut were taken by Ukrainian forces. Um and uh, I went looking for I went looking for some sort of analysis, and I found the Institute for the Study of War, which is a group that's been around since two thousand and seven, uh, and were first established because they thought there was a lot of malarkey being put around in the media about um, essentially about U.S. counterinsurgency in Iraq. That's how it all started. So there are a lot of military figures in the Institute for the Study of War. Their key takeaway on the Ukrainian operations in Bakhmut says that they have kept Russian reserves away from the south. Um, And uh, Ukrainian, I'll just quote from the key takeaway in this report, Ukrainian forces are celebrating the liberation of two small towns south of Bakhmut, but Ukraine's entire effort first to defend and now to conduct counter-offensive operations around Bakhmut has been the subject of much unwarranted criticism. Ukraine's defensive and counter-offensive operations in, in the Bakhmut area since summer 2022, that's the northern summer of course, are an operationally sound undertaking that has fixed a large number, uh, large amount of Russian combat power that would otherwise have been available to Russian defences in southern Ukraine, Jack. Um, that's pretty good analysis, I think. You know, and it has been one of those things that seems to have been a source of frustration 
for um, a lot of Ukraine supporters, a lot of people in Europe, a lot of people in the United States saying that the counteroffensive wasn't working. Um, and, of course, in the meantime, we've had basically the collapse of the Wagner Group, um, which uh, were sort of tenacious defenders of Bakhmut, um, but they've all sort of been merged into the Russian military, Jack. Um, so we're, we're looking at incremental gains, um, but um, uh, solid strategic gains, I think, is what uh, this particular analysis points to. Yeah, um, uh, uh, it's a very limited success, though, isn't it? So they haven't actually really driven the Russians out of anywhere. Yeah, look, it, it just took, you know, when we look at the, the calendar, we are two or three months away from the Ukrainian winter. So the, the uh, we, are, we, are week, we are weeks away from the rainfall on the start of the bog. Yeah, and 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 you would say so far um, um, that uh, there haven't been major major gains made. But what this report is saying is that basically that southern flank is of of uh, where Russia's uh, invasion impacted that, and also includes the annexation of of Crimea. Um, has now sort of been exposed a bit. Um, we'll see how we go. Um, there have been the New York Times is actually reporting a a, a, um, a missile strike from the Ukrainians into a into a uh, eastern Ukraine village, Jack, uh, that killed a number of people. A misfire. Um, and so uh, and of course the Russians continued to to bomb um, um, uh, and send missiles. Uh, to uh, to the Ukrainian civil uh, civilian population, uh, and of course Putin declared this week that there could be no prospect of peace while while the Ukrainian counteroffensive continued. Mm. Um, we will keep you updated, listeners. Um, one story that uh, that has got me particularly uh, interested. Oh well, now look before we leave that, we do have uh, signatures from across the board in a letter to uh, President Biden, um, and uh, it includes a signature from Lindsey Graham, uh, South Carolina Senator. We've got Tom Cotton there, Republican, Susan M. Collins, and Roger F. Whittaker, uh, uh, Wicker, I should say, and they are calling for um, uh, Army tactical missile systems um, uh, to be sent to Ukraine. Um, and... Uh, Currently, uh, the Ukrainians are getting uh, access to um, uh, missile missile launching systems um, that are limited to ninety kilometres in range and cannot be fired into Russian territory. Uh, and now we've got support from the senators saying, "Let's get them into that hundred and forty kilometre range and provide them with uh, what are known in the military love uh, acronyms ATCAMS." Uh, no, that's not even the right ATA SCMS. Um, give them, give them uh, a, a further additional uh, missile range. Good idea, Jack. Um, probably, uh, yeah. I mean, they haven't done too badly. The Ukrainians, the Ukrainians, they just haven't done that well either. Well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people didn't think this was going to go more than two weeks, and certainly the Russians didn't. Um, they thought they would get their territorial gains and go as far as they could to Kiev. Oh, no, I mean, I, I, I mean in the in the in the counteroffensive. Oh, I understand. This, I understand what you're saying, but but yeah. basically, this what the world thought of in, in February 
2022 was this will be over in weeks and poor Ukraine. And, and it really has exposed Russia's military and the entire infrastructure behind it as uh, not quite being at super at superpower level, Jack. Yeah, yeah it well, certainly has done that. Um, all right. Now, we've got some interesting news from Canada, don't we, Jack? You're at least one of your... Uh, one of your favourite po- politicians, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, but this is a very serious matter, so he doesn't hasn't donned the uh, the Indian kit for, for to make this announcement. But uh, uh, Trudeau's government has accused India's government of involvement in the killing of a Canadian Sikh leader near Vancouver last June. He was shot to death, um, uh, Hardeep Singh Nijar. Uh, was shot to death in in, uh, in Vancouver or south of Vancouver in uh, Surrey, I think it is, um, in, uh, just south of Vancouver in British Columbia. Um, and uh, as a result, uh, just uh, the, the Trudeau government has expelled um, an Indian diplomat um, who appears to be um, working for uh, uh, India's intelligence agency uh, over the shooting. Um, just to give people a, a background, on a mid-June evening in the busy parking lot uh, of the Guru Nanak Sikh Gurdwara uh, Temple in the city of Surrey, just south of Vancouver, Hardeep Singh Nijar was shot dead in his truck by two masked gunmen. And months later, the unsolved killing continues to reverberate in Canada and across the board. Huge Sikh, pop- Sikh population, particularly in British Columbia, the biggest diaspora of uh, Sikhs in the world, Jack. Did you know that? I did yes, I did. That. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge numbers. Um, and hundreds of Sikh separatists took to the streets in Toronto, along with a handful of others in cities like uh, London and Melbourne and San Francisco in early July to protest the Indian government's um, um, suspected involvement in the, in the murder. Um, and, uh, and the Canadians have acted today, Jack. They have. This has been a, a, a running sore between um, the Canadians and the Indians for some time, um, which is why it made the Trudeau visit to India even more bizarre than it appeared on its surface. Uh, there is a huge Indian diaspora in uh, in Canada, and particularly amongst the Sikhs, um, and uh, that's a problem for India. It's a you know because the been, yeah the Indian the Canadian government's been prepared to cosy up to um, Sikh separatists in Canada for political reasons, and the Indian government, um, with some justification, thinks that some of those separatists are in fact funding and organising terrorist attacks within India. Well, yeah, there's one way of looking at it, Jack, but then there's another one and this is an extrajudicial killing that yes. the Canadian government actually well, well, believes is state-sponsored. So yeah. there's not a lot yes. of difference in the behaviour of India, in the Indian government, if that's the case, to um, uh, to the uh, the murder of the WAPO journalist uh, by the Saudis. Yes, so uh, well, pretty messy well, there. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. But we, we have to deal with the world as it is, and that's how politics in India is played. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. So, look, uh, this one thing that we can safely predict is this, this will take Canadian-Indian relations into a new low. They weren't very um, solid in the first place because of 
uh, the, the sort of circumstances you were talking about there, to, a large number of Sikh separatists living, particularly in British Columbia. Um, um, but uh, this now takes it into a new low. Yeah, it does. So we won't. I think one the other thing we can safely say is we won't see Justin Trudeau and the Indian kit um, uh, getting off the plane at New Delhi anytime soon. Uh, no, that, that's a good thing, but this is a big price to pay for it. Uh, okay, well, you come and look. Putin, Putin was running around necking blokes in uh, in London for a very long time before the uh, English did anything about it, mm. um, and uh, it's it's. Not uh, not the sign of a of a happy, healthy nation when uh, those uh, those uh, those nations who do engage in extrajudicial killings on another country's turf. Um, and we'll keep an eye on that story because that is going to bubble away for a long time. Um, now, Jack, sport, our very favourite part of the segment, and very sad news over the weekend with the death of the great the great titan of Australian rules football, Ronald Dale Barassi. Um, um, where do we start with him? Uh, long-time player, I think five premierships at Melbourne. Six. Six, was it? Yeah, that's mm. okay. Yes, I stand corrected. Um, uh, uh, two at Carlton as coach. Um, he, uh, I think, uh, wasn't playing in 68 or maybe he was a playing coach uh, at that time. The, uh, the committee retired, the, the match committee retired him, him with about four, round, four rounds they, to go. They, they said, him, Ron, yeah. um, uh, He played an even 50 games at, uh, at, yeah. at the Blues and, uh, and then coached them to the 68 and 19, the, perhaps the most famous of all, Jack, the 1970 grand final. Uh, then went on to coach North Melbourne in in, uh, in a club that had been stagnating at the bottom for a very very long time. Had a new administration with a bit of vision, and they took Barassi on two premierships at North Melbourne. Then coached Melbourne when they were in a deep funk. Perhaps didn't have the great success there in terms of premierships. They, but uh, he a couple of years after he. His re- retirement or resignation there, uh, they made a pro- they made a grand final, uh, and then of course he, he came up to coach in his dotage as a coach. He came up to coach the Sydney Swans Footy Club, and uh, and everyone at that club just regards him uh, regards him so highly uh, for the work yeah, that I, he did there. I, I was quite staggered the first time I went to a uh, uh, a president's pre match dinner uh, at the Sydney Swans. Um, and I knew knew Ron had gone up there and coached them, um, but when he walked in, you know, it was like the second coming. They absolutely adored him, um, and 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 the history of that is just like North Melbourne. Um, he came to a club that was really struggling to survive. It was yeah. almost gone, um, and he he gave them something to believe in and something to take them forward and so, and save them really. His last game as coach, I remember being there. Uh, Sydney beat um, uh, Sydney beat uh, Collingwood in a yep. home and away game. They finished sort of uh, probably thirteenth or fourteenth on the ladder, the Sydney Swans. But uh, they they come up with a very good win that day with uh, an emerging Paul Kelly, not the journalist, not the singer, but the uh, Brownlow medalist and captain of the Sydney Swans, uh, played an absolute blinder. Um, and then, of course, Barass stayed on as, as chairman. Now, I know a number of journalists. I've met Barass a number of times. You know, he yep. was a 
good fellow. Uh, a number of journalists, one mate of mine uh, at the Australian, used to used to ghost him um, and got on. Everyone got on really well with him. I mean, everyone that I know who had anything to do with Barassi had just had nothing but the hugest amount of respect for the man. He was excellent in company, um, and yeah, you still drink a little. In used to drink a little rum and rum and cola, Jack, in a tiny yeah. little tiny little glass, probably a four ounce glass, um, and uh, he drink drink away at those. Um, look, he had this extraordinary partnership with his second wife, and they've been married many many years. Uh, Cheryl, who was an artist, I mean, they were completely you know different people in many respects. But Cheryl issued a statement. Um, Cheryl Barassi issued a statement. She said, to all people who clearly feel for him, I would like you to know that Ron was as good as you think and even more. So that's a rather lovely thing for his wife to say of him and I think that's pretty much sums up how everyone feels about Ronald Dale Barassi, one of the greats of Australian sport. Yeah, well, there, there never has been before and I think there never will be again uh, a football figure who's lo- so loved at four different AFL clubs. Um, um, Died a year exactly uh, to the day after Alan Aylett passed away, Jack. Yeah, and if uh, if, you, if you're on Facebook, have a look. There's a um, someone's dug out a lovely piece that Brent Croswell wrote in in his brief period as an age journalist. Wonderful writer and, uh, about playing chess against Barras. Um, yeah, it's a beauty. It's a ripper. Tiger was a better, better chess player, so I think Brass didn't like it much. All right. So when we get into the, I mean, Vale, the great Ronald Dale, but um, uh, when we get into uh, the finals, of course, the Blues had a had a, had a uh, come from behind win against Melbourne. Uh, the noise they say shook shook the stadium. Jack must have been a good sixty thousand. Uh, Blues fans there there would have been a few Melbourne ones going oh no but the yes that came with the siren blast uh, MCC officials said they'd never seen anything quite like it well, no matter what you say about the Blues supporters mate they do make a big noise yep um, and they of course they go on to play uh, Brisbane at the Gabba um, and uh, the Giants who probably with Carlton, probably the best form team in the comp at the moment, uh, go on to play Collingwood at the MCG and they don't seem terribly phased by the uh, continue to uh, be, you know, play away sort of stuff. They don't, just don't worry about that at all, the Giants. They've been an extraordinary story this this week uh, or this, this season, like Carlton. And, and, and I think Carlton were 15th and the Giants 14th about three months ago. Uh, uh, not even that, but <laughs> more recently than that. Now, they're both playing tremendously good footy. Um, I think if you were um, in a- AFL head office, you'd be barracking for a Collingwood-Carlton grand final. Well, um, yeah. Uh, well, Melbourne uh, would explode. I mean, it hasn't happened since 1981 mm. uh, in the old VFL competition. So, you know, both, I mean, the, the Pies have got 100,000-plus members. Carlton have got 80,000 very loud people, of course. Um, so that would be all, 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 all good, respectable, very uh, fine people. Yeah, yes, none yes. finer. Um, but of course, um, the nightmare scenario, <laughs> Jack, would be that the Lions beat Carlton, which is very likely, by the way. I mean, the Lions look set to me, um, not just uh, to win 
uh, on Saturday night, but to win the flag, they, it looked settled for me for a long time. When we talk about best form sides in the competition, you can't exclude the Lions. So it could be a Lions v Giants grand final, Jack. Well, you reckon the bouncers would be outside throwing them in rather than <laughs> inside throwing them out? You know? Yeah, exactly. Could end up like that. Um, and, and, and while we're on the subject, the NRL is facing uh, a very similar sort of scenario. Um, uh, Melbourne Storm, who fell across the line against the Roosters on the weekend, um, and, uh, and and the New Zealand uh, Warriors, uh, <coughs> they uh, well the Warriors look primed, they look good. Um, so they uh, Melbourne will play the Panthers this weekend, and and the Wars, as they're known in New Zealand, will play the Broncos in Brisbane. <coughs> so the nightmare scenario for the NRL would be a Melbourne Wars uh, grand final. Don't think it's likely, a bit like uh, the AFL, don't think it's likely the Panthers have had it all over Melbourne for a couple of years now. Uh, and and the Wars will be playing the Broncos who are in very, very good nick. But they are one a bit like uh, Carlton or indeed the Giants, the, the the Warriors are a real success story, come from nothing sort of story, and it and apparently it has gripped gripped the New Zealanders uh, more so, according to the bloke I was listening to on Triple M on the weekend, more so than the All Blacks. Do you believe it, Jack? Well, the way the All Blacks are going at the moment, I can understand I, it. I think that's uh, I think that's where we go. Look, just uh, just to follow up on the Maynard. Uh, issue uh, and the, and the, the concussion that it, that affected Angus Brayshaw, Melbourne uh, midfielder, um, uh, and Maynard uh, got off, of course, um, and there was a lot of uh, discussion about whether that should be the case. Uh, a lot of criticism about uh, no penalty for causing uh, Angus Brayshaw has a history of concussion, further concussion injury, and then out of that. Comes Jack Lethal Lee Matthews has stepped up and and uh, su- made a couple of suggestions uh, for uh, making the game a bit safer. Jack, yeah, well, you can tell it's lot, not nineteen seventy two. Uh, there'd be a lot of former players <laughs> who would be reading that over their cornflakes in the morning and saying, "What Lee's concerned about head safety now?" <laughs> lethal Lee, <laughs> I can still feel it. You know. Yeah, he would have uh, he knocked a few blokes uh, senseless along the way, Jack. Um, uh, I mean, there are some that are pretty. There's a little clip of him playing against Carlton where he belts about four blokes in the space of ten seconds, mm. and it's all very subtle. And the 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 one or even two umpires that would have been there in those days, no, no one saw anything. Mm. Um, but anyway, look, the suggestions are, and they're worth a bit of merit. Get rid of interchange. What? Slow the game down a bit. Uh, and would Braid Maynard have gone that hard if he knew he had to play 120 minutes? Get rid of the interchange, Jack. You'll see Blake's crawling in the last quarter. Hmm. Don't know about that one. Uh, I think, if anything, you're going to broaden the interchange numbers, and, of course, they have been for some time. Um, and we do have, uh, well, a concussion sub that's now become a sort of tactical sub, don't, don't we, in, in the game? Um, uh, I think in terms of the concussion type uh, issues, uh, the biggest problem or the code with the biggest problem is the NRL, Jack, because it is a sport built on impact uh, impact and collision. Yeah. So how do you go? Well, what do you do? 
Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've got some sympathy for not getting rid of the inter- interchange but limiting it much more. Well, just talking about NRL for a moment, if the you know if we look at sort of concussion injuries, and more and more the neurologists are saying you've got to be spelled for three or four weeks hmm. minimum, not one or two, which is the AFL and NRL sort of concussion protocols. It's got to be three or four minimum. Uh, we talk about helmets, and they're not quite effective uh, because it's not really. It's not really the head blow. It's the it's the it's the sort of impact injuries that throw the head back yep. um, that are causing the problem. So that's very difficult to to prevent um, by use of helmets and so forth. I mean, going forward, sports like AFL and NRL in particular have got real problems in terms of how they're going to deal with this. Yeah, they do. Um, it's, it's easy to get the head injuries out of. Um, out of uh, cricket, let's say out of, out of AFL um, and out of rugby union than it is out of rugby league. Yeah, rugby league's the sport that's got the biggest problem, I think. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, look, uh, best wishes to those four teams in the NRL and those four teams in the AFL for this weekend, uh, and we'll know who plays in their respective grand finals uh, come Saturday night. Now, the Rugby World Cup has been played, Jack, and Australia Cup, uh, well, took a loss uh, to Fiji, meaning they now have to uh, beat Wales to get out of the group uh, area. Uh, Fiji uh, are playing uh, not that sort of expansive, fun-loving sort of footy that they have been known for. They're um, uh, showing really strong defence now, a bit of tactical nous. Um, they've been playing very well, haven't they? That's the first. Yeah, they're 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 in hot form. They beat England at Twickenham um, in yep. a warm up game, um, but a serious warm up game. Um, they should have beaten Wales. They were a bit unlucky with the yeah, ref, and uh, and in the last play of the game, um, uh, the their their winger had uh, ooh, about five or six meters of line open, and he 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 knocked on. Um, so they should have beaten Wales, and they've comfortably beaten Australia. Australia or Wales? That's a toss up. Um, we're no good things to beat them. Oh, no, you wouldn't think so. You, 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 there'd be fairly long odds, I would think. What about the coach, Jack? What about our What about our coach? Jones, he's been coached there for a while. Um, he, he's an amusing, if somewhat odd figure in a, in a post-match presser, isn't he? He is. Um, strange uh, eccentric doesn't begin to describe it. Um, I think the Australian Rugby Union's problems go deeper than the appointment of the coach. They need a root and branch um, uh, reform in there. Well, I, I think when it comes to Jones, you know, if, if they do get bundled out in the group uh, stage, which is quite likely, he'll turn around and say, well, you know, we didn't expect to win this anyway. <laughs> That's the of sort of thing will. Jones will do. He'll, he'll immediately say that. Um, but the future of the game stuff, are we now seeing, you know, that great mistake that Rugby Union made 20-plus years ago when it took what was then the Super 12 um, into you know, the echelons of pay-per-view TV and excluded, basically basically stopped growing their market? Um, uh, the, the, the big... The start of the mistake was that post the 2003 World Cup, they were drowning in money. They made a hell of a lot of money out of that and they've wasted all of it since then. Mm, all right. Now, Spring Carnival, Jack, and you told us you were going to be watching it. I did uh, see Mr Brightside had a very good win in the uh, 
in the Maccabi Divas Stakes, very short odds. Um, and well, two, uh, we two are still that I Two that I noticed this week that are worth worth keeping an eye on. Uh, two imports, um, uh, both actually imported by uh, one by an Irishman I know and one by a Frenchman I know who are bloodstock agents, good fellas too. One's called Carini, the other one's called Just Fine, and they are looking for even more ground um, and are two to keep an eye on, uh, as is Amelia's Jewel. Huey Bowman, uh, the, the racing season started here last week, and Huey Bowman, uh, the jockey, has moved up here full time for this season. And there's a Hong Kong connection, Jack, Romantic Warrior. Yep, our best uh, 2,000 metre horse is going to, he's already, I think he's favourite fav- fav- for, really fav- for the Cox Plate. Yeah. Mm, okay, all right. Um, there's a couple of couple of little leads there for you. I wouldn't call them tips. I'd just say uh, have a look. And, keep, a, and keep an eye on them. Check Jack. prices. Keep an eye on it. Jack, now take us out as um, we wrap up for the we, day. We, we were talking before about um, uh, Kamala Harris and, uh, and how she's going. And she, uh, Nancy Pelosi was giving an interview with, I think, Anderson Cooper. And um, he, to be fair, her support for, for, for Kamala Harris was a little lukewarm. Um, uh, what did she say? Uh, she's the Vice President of the United States. So when people say to me, well, why isn't she doing this or that? I said, because she's the Vice President. That's the job description. You don't do much that, you know? Um, uh, so this is Nancy. And as soon as this, this interview was over, someone's popped this up on social media. <coughs> Nancy's going to have a chat with Harris. It'll go something like this. Hello, Cam. Great shoes. Listen, Joe's out. We like you. We respect you. But no White House. Not this term. Trump will ruin you. And we need you. Come back to California. We'll set you up in a high-awareness, low-income non-profit. <laughs> I'm going to back Gav for the president. And once he's gone, the governorship is yours. Put in some years. After Gav, we'll put you up for the White House, if you can wait. If you can't wait... We'll give you Diane's seat. Manolas? Those shoes, Manolas? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, a, that's very, very sexist of you, Jack. So the two women in politics would just chat about their shoes. Um, yeah. If she was, uh, if, if, if Kamala was actually governor of California, then one would expect a, a return to fairly high uh, execution rates, Jack. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, she, uh, she, was a, she was a very, um, uh, the only job she worked hard at. She, yeah. Only job she's worked hard at in her life was being a prosecutor. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for that. And look, the take-home message for uh, for all of our listeners today is that Jack has smelt around the body of Joe Biden and decided that uh, he's go- he is gone, and uh, and that uh, the Dems will replace him. And he well, well, that's, that's not quite true. What I think is there is a queue of Democrats lining up to push him off the cliff. Oh, same thing, Jack. <laughs> same bloody thing. You reckon you reckon he's gone? You've tipped it. And uh, and and have the bloody courage to back it up. Um, so you reckon he was, he's gone? Now look, oh, they're, 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 they've got to get him out. I think they want to get him out. Whether they can, whether they can get the crowbar in there and, uh, and shoehorn him out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we'll see, we'll see. But it's a big tip, and uh, we'll keep an eye on it. And thank you, listeners, for bearing with us today and listening to. Uh, our opinions and analysis of all things important around the world. And we just want to remind you uh, to uh, drop us a line if you've uh, got any comments, criticisms, uh, suggestions, what 
ever, you can uh, drop me a line. Um, uh, oh, well, uh, you can hit us up on email, the conditional release program, uh, <coughs> the conditional release program at gmail.com, I should say, uh, or you can hit me up on uh, on my uh, Twitter account. DMs always open at Jack the Insider. And you can hit up Jack too, Hong Kong Jack, that is, and give it to me, Jack. Uh, HongKongJack.substack.com. Excellent work. All right. Thank you, listeners, and uh, we'll speak to you next week.